One thing I would say is, is it a should? I shouldn't leave this job. I should use my degree. Is it a should? Then can you change it into, and I want to, I desire to, I feel like this is the right thing for me statement. If you can't authentically change it into an I want to, I desire to, you know your answer. Hello, it's me, your host, Jen, and fellow journeyer on this path of learning how to reintegrate the divine feminine energy into the boardroom. So we'll talk about things like conscious capitalism and leading with vulnerability and awareness and connection and play. We'll be diving into the bedroom. So basically, we're going to talk about the horizontal mambo. (laughs) In all seriousness, we're going to look at how to create a, a deeper level of intimacy and connection in your romantic partnerships, but also in all of our relationships. I think we've become so disconnected. So how do we gain that in our relationships? And then we're going to look beyond that into any tool or practice that helps us become more magnetic and more full. So manifestation techniques, meditation, Um, and personal development approaches that will help us move through challenges to step into our brightest, fullest, most magnetic version of ourselves. It's all the things. It is the whole shebang. So buckle up, buttercups. We're diving in. Welcome to the whole shebang. We are speaking today with Jess Kaskoff, number one best-selling author, speaker, and coach. She's had a huge transition. She left a successful 15-year engineering career at a Fortune 500 company to start her own business, Joyfulness with Jess. So trading her hard hat for headbands, today she does what she feels called to do, motivating and supporting others. She lives in the suburbs of Chicago with her encouraging husband, two active sons, and two oppositely lazy cats. (laughs) So Jess, (laughs) welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So much I'm excited to talk about. This is a big part of my journey has been really diving into what lights me up. And I've seen such a need for that in so many people to to tap into what does bring joy into their lives. So I've been really looking forward to this conversation with you and hearing how you got to where you are. So let's Let's go backwards first and kind of talk about that career that you had in engineering. Tell me about what your pathway was prior to where you got here. Oh, I think that's a that's a good starting point for sure. I mean, because that 15-year corporate career did lead me um, to where I am today and in a very unexpected way. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, you know, 15 years um, in the engineering corporate world, um, in food manufacturing, actually. Um, so I... I actually made the career switch. I did kind of a dimmer switch, I call it. It wasn't like an on-off. I quit my job and moved on. Um, it was kind of a dimmer switch, but it all started with my company actually announcing layoffs. They said, in a few months, we're going to let you know if you have a job or not. Um, and I said, well, this is probably a good time to do a little self-discovery while I wait to see if I have a job or not. Um, so I really asked myself a few questions. And one was, What's the biggest impact I've had in the last 15 years? Um, and it wasn't really um, an answer that I would have expected. Two of the two of the plants that I'd worked at that were manufacturing plants had already closed. 
So my impact was not that process I put in place or that equipment improvement I put in place. Those no longer existed. Those plants are closed. So really the lasting impact is on those people I managed or interacted with. And that was pretty eye-opening to me. Um, I know it might seem pretty obvious, but having the plants closed really helped me reflect on, oh, you know, the really important impactful items were that. And honestly, those were my favorite pieces Mm. um, of my time there. Can I ask, like looking back, You said that as they made that announcement, you naturally went inward to ask those questions. Did you, was there anything going on in the time, months and years leading up to that, that caused you to be like, now's, now I need to reflect or did that you just think, eh, this is a good time to do it. Or were you kind of feeling like something maybe is a little off for me here? No, that's a great question. I think intuitively I just started doing that. Um, but also my kids were, or my kids are older now. And so like, I think I also had bandwidth to pause, um, and do some, some, uh, self-assessment and reflection, um, and made the bandwidth, you know, I mean, they weren't incredibly, you know, they were at that point, they were four and six. Um, and so it's not that they were very old, but I think it was just, it was a moment where I purposely stopped. And said, okay, this is like a, a, a pivotal time to like really, really take the moment where before I think I would have just trucked on and waited to hear um, what, yeah. what I, whether I had a job or not. And I think another piece was that we had a few months. It wasn't like we're announcing layoffs on Friday, right? It was, hey, we're, we are just letting you know, giving you a heads up. We are doing layoffs in a few months, um, which I didn't love having that long ramp. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, having it really made me... Um, take the time because it wasn't like a, okay, I'm just going to see really quickly if I have a job or not. And previous layoff rounds had been like that. They were pretty quick turnarounds. Um, and this one was a little different and then it gave you more time. And I was, um, so I used it. I used it mm-hmm. to, um, pause. Got a practical level. So you had two little kids. There's going to be a lot of women, uh, and maybe some men listening that are like, I feel like I don't have the time. I like how you said you made the bandwidth how did you make the bandwidth or what did that look like for you on a pretty practical level? Yeah, I think um, part of it was I used the first hour of my morning um, to journal and reflect. And I didn't really feel guilty about that because yes, I could have been doing the emails for work or whatnot, but this was a part of what was going on at work. Um, So I did use a little bit, it probably wasn't an hour, but you know, I used some of the time at work to do this reflection. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I think, you know, we all have a lunch break, right? So use that time, whatever time you need, it doesn't have to be at lunch. Uh, Well, how about this? We all should take time for lunch. (laughs) Right. We all mean we always accurate. do. Like a lot of us are just powering through like I got six yeah. minutes and I don't know when I'm gonna pee, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am guilty of ninety percent of my lunches being eaten in meetings um, yeah, back in the sure. day. So um but you know, you have you have your allowed breaks in the day. So I used those breaks. Mm, that's great. Um, so they announced the layoffs and you took the time to start asking. You were I think I interrupted you. You were going through some of those questions that you were asking yourself yeah. about where you made the biggest impact impact continue on there. Yeah, so the the next question I ask myself is of all the roles I've had, you know, operations leadership, um, continuous improvement, all these things, what was my favorite role? Um, and it was really interesting. It was not um, really related to my engineering uh, roles. It was actually a human resources cross-functional role I did. So when our plant was closing, I was in charge of climate and culture. Um, 
at, for, during that plant closure. So really supporting people through the gap of, hey, we're still running to um, you know the exit or the end um, of the plant closure. So that was my favorite role. And it was just kind of shocking to me because it's it was definitely a cross-functional as in it was different. Um, and I loved supporting and motivating others through that role. It really changed me as a person and a leader um, because I realized, again, how important the people side um, really is and how much I really enjoyed it. And I had managed um, multiple of the departments, so I knew a majority of the plant um, personnel. So it, it just it helped me heal from the plant closing and also helped me support others. Mm. Did you realize that while you were doing that, you know, I think sometimes I, I've been saying lately, like, notice when you're lit up and notice when you dim. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can look back and see it. But I'm curious if, like, while you were in charge of that culture piece, were you, were you like, man, this feels good or this lights me up? Or did mm-hmm. you notice it more in retrospect? I think in the moment. So I was feeling very dim in the sense of this plant is closing. I thought I would work here for years and years and years and years. Um, and so I was feeling dim in that sense. And I feel like the role brought back some light, mm-hmm. right? Because it like opened my heart, you know, and, you know, I'm already feeling really deep grief for the plant closing um, and the job loss and um, that piece. And then um, I felt like my heart got to really be involved in my work um, in a differential way. This is horrible. I keep thinking of the Grinch where his heart's just growing bigger. You know, like <laughs> I was dim and I was a little shriveled, but that's really what a powerful experience to go through when you feel your heart opening. Like it's mm-hmm. so much of what I've become, I would say, pretty passionate about that that work can be a place where we feel that kind of connection at, to people because it is because we're all human, you know, we aren't robots. We're not machines. We're not machines, but we are working to produce things. And so how can we bring in that human element? So it's really beautiful that you were, that you were open to being open. Do you know what I mean? Cause I think sometimes a lot of people will just like, Oh gosh, here comes a feeling and I'm at work. I'm going to shut that down. But versus you just opening up your heart and then seeing where that took, where that's taken you ultimately is really beautiful. Well, and it's interesting too, that role came after I had just had my first child. Um, so I think also like my heart was just opening more because I felt that motherly love. And then I think it just translated well to the role I had. So you're, I think you're, I mean, I don't think I was the Grinch level of a heart, but I, I do think my heart I did. I know, I know. You were. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think my heart did grow in that period for sure for many factors. Um, so as I was like kind of going through this, I realized the theme was motivating and supporting others. That's what I loved. And as you said, what lights you up, that's what lit me up. Um, and I realized was my impact and my my favorite roles. Um, and I did end up having a job after the layoffs. Um, but, you know, they say like, you can't unsee it. You know, so I'd already done the self-discovery. I can't unsee it. Like, I know this is a really big passion of mine. Um, so I did a few things. Um, one being I asked for more um, items at work that aligned with that. So I became a mentor. Um, I became a peer coach. So some things I did within my job. So it's, I'm not saying quitting your job is always what needs to be done, right? You can also find work, yeah. you know, find happiness where you are. Isn't that from Moana? <laughs> yeah, yeah, something. I've also something heard, like, like water the grass where you're at. It's not greener on the other yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then eventually I did pitch a part-time arrangement. And that is not at all um, normal for 24-7 manufacturing, um, but I'm lucky they did um, say yes to that. So I started to go to night school, became a coach, um, and they eventually asked for a sabbatical. 
um, and then ultimately quit my job. And that's what I mean by like a dimmer switch. I kind of did some steps until I felt comfortable. Okay, this is not going to just be a side gig. I want this to be a new career to try. Did you know when you were going in the dimmer switch? Did you did you sort of I don't know. I'm not an engineer, so I don't know engineer brains, but I feel like I imagine that you had a plan and then you're like, here's the plan. I'm walking it out. Did you know walking into that, like the part-time deal that it would probably eventually lead to something full-time or were you like, let's just, let's just do more of what I love and keep this job here for stability? So my engineering brain did not like this period of life because I was more, I mean, not really, she was fine, (laughs) but um, I really was doing more of the like intuitively feeling it out, um, which was not normal for me. I do love a good plan um, for sure, but I really said, let's just like one step at a time. Um, And I don't think I, I mean, I don't think I knew that at that point that I was going to quit my job. I was under this um, kind of staircase or dimmer of, okay, this step, how does it feel? This step, how does it feel? Um, Can the we take into this? I'm so fascinated by this yes. piece of it because I talk to a lot of people who are wondering, how do I know what my intuition is? Like, and so, especially for somebody like you, that's you're you're in a you're a high powered woman in a Fortune 500 company in an engineering position. Your brain is functioning probably mostly pretty logically, or like you've exercised that muscle really well mm-hmm. and it's served you really well. And then you lean into this new phase of following your intuition. Like specifically, if you were to tell somebody how to follow their intuition, what would they look for? What? How would they know? Yeah, I would say two things. One, if you want to listen to your intuition, you need to get silent. So I know meditation is like a taboo word to some people. Like, ah, meditation, you're saying it again. But you have to get silent if you want to hear. Um, so that's my first one. But the second one is really, um, I, I think it was Martha Beck. Um, who wrote this, but it's, uh, if you, you know, that if it's aligned with you or like within your, I mean, intuition or just aligned with your soul, right. Similar aspects there. Um, if it feels warm, kind of cozy, kind of like a, uh, like a sigh, like it just, it just feels, um, in that, in that realm of feelings, um, it's not aligned with yourself or your intuition. If it feels panicky or like a false sense of urgency, um, this got to go, got to go right now. Um, or like your shoulders rise up, um, you know, those type of things. It's just getting in, in tune with your body. Um, which I will say I've, I was not good at for many, many years. Um, but really getting in tune with your body and what reactions you have. Like I would get a pit in my stomach right at top. Like that is my number one cue that like I, something I need to address or like reflect on. Um, I was in a coaching appointment with my coach at one point and I was telling her like, I just don't know what's right. And she said, well, look back at a time in your life when you, when you knew something was this, you know, the right thing or the wrong thing or what, what, when you were clear, where did you feel it in your body? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I was moving so fast and thinking so hard and putting a plan together. And she said, that's okay. Next time, pay attention to where you feel it in your body and what you feel. And that was hugely transformative for me because I'm like, no one had ever asked me that question. And I'll just speak for myself. I don't know if you felt this, but I feel like, and I don't know if I even want to play like the the female card, but I feel like it's hard to talk about, especially in a workplace, right? Like, "Mm, this just doesn't quite feel right to me. It's like, well, what's the data to back that? 
You know, it just, mm-hmm. it is, it's harder to navigate, especially in a business setting when you're, when you're bringing into it, your intuition to it. Right. And so I, I didn't lean into that for a long time. And, and that's part of what I'm working on now is how can I blend both of those things and, and go, okay, here's where my intuition is. I, I know my intuition to be pretty accurate. Now, now what do I look for? Where's the data now? Or where's the logic now? Or now, yeah. how do I take the next step? Do you, what are your thoughts on that? I'm just curious, like what your experience with that has been. Um, it, it's an interesting one because it is it is a blending of your masculine and feminine, right? There's that logical and feeling side um, mixed together. So I would say for me, it was if I felt a feeling, um, I would start there and say, I know this is what I need to. I know that I need to pitch part-time. I feel it in my soul. I know that I need to do that. Okay, so how am I going to do that? So it becomes, it goes from your feeling phase of, okay, I have decided that I'm going to go with my feeling. And then it goes into your logical phase. How can I convince someone of this? How can I convince myself of this? Um, so for me, I, I met with multiple mentors to practice my pitch and they helped me fine tune. You know, like you just, you go into your logical execution side because we both, we have both sides, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there is always a way, you know, there's always creative solutions. It's not black and white, like our logical side would see. So intuitively, Hey, I know I need, I need more time for myself. How can I make that happen? Part-time sabbatical, you know, that's where I came up with these kind of creative solutions. That's um, so powerful. And, and I feel like there. that's so powerful, people, because I've seen it happen, and I've—I'm sure I've done this too. My boss will probably listen to this and be like, "Yeah, she's done this." But like, I'll get an <laughs> overwhelming knowing, especially navigating. You know, we've had a lot happen here in Minneapolis in the last few years with COVID and George Floyd and all these different dynamics. Mm-hmm. We're navigating that. I was like, I don't know how to explain this, but here's my intuition on how we should move forward, and. And, you know, the, the more serious things aside, even in the little ways, I've seen people approach meetings like this just feels right. And it's like you you can immediately be discounted, you know, if you don't. Yeah. So I think there's so much wisdom in that on a practical level, just to kind of reiterate what you're saying. Like, yeah, of course, you know what your intuition is. And then you'll go, OK, in order for me to reach people where they're at and help them see what's happening, I've got to bring logic into this, too. It's I really need to translate it into a way that will gain support, mm. right? Which it stinks that we have to translate, um, but that is what we have to do. And I, I will say, like, the feeling saying I have a feeling, I have a gut feeling, that is so taboo for women especially to say in the workplace. Like, I know I got a performance appraisal once at the end says you're too emotional. And I'm like, OK, well, that's just come on. <laughs> you know, like, and that what was actually when I, that? What did you that do? was when like, I, that was when I had the climate and culture role. And I literally said, you have assigned me to a role where I am supposed to be in touch with the emotions of the plant, you know? And so that's, that, that was a feedback I gave. Um, and, and similarly, this is, you know, I'm one of the only women direct reports you have, how does that, you know, I have had, had, had conversations about it because it was, you know, is it because you're stereotyping here as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he agreed about the, um, as it was a man, he agreed about the, uh, you know, the role. Yeah. So I put you in that role to be in, in tune with the emotions of the plan. And um, yeah, but it's still, it's still obviously within the workplace, a um, something that makes people uncomfortable that we're saying, you know, leading with feelings sometimes. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. every culture, but. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, because it's like, we don't have to lead with feelings that there's so much research out there that shows, especially now after COVID and everything too, that people need connection, the longevity, Mm -hmm. the productivity, the happiness, all of that. And Mm -hmm. so 
you know, we're all kind of figuring it out together, right? Like, well, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to actually be emotionally available to our employees and to our team to create a safe space for them to be vulnerable? But yes. also, I I feel like there is a line, right? It's just finding mm-hmm. where is that when I'm like, okay, I can't be your therapist because I'm not mm-hmm. a therapist for one. But right. also, where's that line then where we go, okay, great, there's a safe space here. Now do you have what you need? Let's go now do the job we need to do, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. But it it is a really tricky balance. And I agree that mm-hmm. I think my my perspective has been that there's there are a lot of people, myself included, historically, if I look back 10 years ago, five, maybe even five years ago, I was afraid of my own emotions. So mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. like if I'm not of course, I'm not going to be comfortable with your emotions. And uh, it <laughs> yeah. seems pretty basic that people project, right? So they're, yeah. they're, you're too emotional, but I'm like, maybe you're not emotional enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you want to heal the world, you need to heal yourself. You yeah, know, yeah, that yeah, yeah, kind of. That's a, so, you know, it's like, it's like it's, wisdom. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I totally uh, get that. Well, thanks mm-hmm. for venturing on that tangent with me. <laughs> I just, Love I find it fascinating, especially given the experience that you've had in that that kind of position and in a pretty, uh, historically speaking, man-dominated industry, male-dominated industry mm-hmm. with a lot of logic. I can really appreciate that that must have been challenging for you to step into that role and and navigate that. So congratulations on doing that well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, it changed me. That role changed me. Yeah. It was, it so, was the role that I feel like I could tap into the feeling and thinking um, yeah. balance. So really great. So you come, you've, you've dimmed the light and mm-hmm. you make the leap. Tell me about what that was like to make that leap into going full time into coaching was, and all of the things you're doing now. Yeah. Um, I was very excited to do it. I absolutely love writing. Um, so I was really enjoying the concept of writing the book, um, which is Soul Salary. Um, and I I kind of dove into that during my sabbatical. And that's <clears throat> really how I realized that I was ready to quit my job. They say you write the book you need. And I absolutely did here. So the book actually helped me as I wrote it for myself, apparently, and others. Um, I realized that it was time for me um, to to try this. I would really regret it if I didn't um, if I didn't try this. And so um, that's really what had me take the leap. Mm. So I want to dive in and hear about the book. I mean, it's, you know, who is the book for? I mean, you, you were that person that needed that mm-hmm. book. Who might, who might be wanting to open that up? Why? And what would they find in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say like a lot of my audience is just badass professionals, mm-hmm. um, most likely overwhelmed, overworked, near or already in burnout. You know, they're not making time for their basic needs, much less their joy, right? So that's kind of my audience. Um, and I think this book resonates with a lot of people beyond that, but particularly that group, um, because it is such a concept that we understand logically. Um, salary, you know, we understand salary logically. And I put the um, the book into that logical framework with adding the heart of soul, right? So how does the salary of your soul. So it, it has that balance again of that kind of masculine feminine um, side. <laughs> you know, it's really got both. Even the title, you know, the soul is the feminine, the salary is the masculine. And it uh, uses both my engineering and uh, people brain. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So um, what are some of the main concepts in the book? Talk to me yeah. a little bit about that. 
Absolutely. So it is called Soul Salary, S-O-U-L. Um, and really, it's not the financial salary that you make in your job. It's the salary you pay yourself. So I define soul salary as the value your soul receives when your time and energy are in alignment with what feels joyous and fulfilling. So when you put your biggest resources, which are time and energy, towards what feels joyous and fulfilling, you are a high earner in soul salary. You know, if you're not even making your basic needs, much less your joy, you're you know you're at a a minimum wage level of soul salary, I would call it. So the so book really joy, 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 most joyous and most fulfilling. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Was that a huge? I mean, you you kind of talked about this, but I'm I'm looking at all the badass women in my world right now, and I feel like we've been taught, or we've adapted, or we've decided that what I'm going to measure success by is by what do I, I achieve or the pile yes. of things I accumulate. Yes. How do you? How and why do you shift from that to like I'm going to measure success by what brings me the most joy? Like what? Yes. Right. Were you always of that mindset? No, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I was always was of the during that pivot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was always of the mindset of achieve, achieve, achieve. Be impressive was, I think, what was driving my decisions. Right. Um, so that was, that was the goal. Um, it really actually hit the concept came about when I was talking to my best friend during COVID. Um, and I said, you know, we were just basically overwhelmed. We're like, how, you know, society is telling us to parent like we don't work and work like we don't parent. We are overwhelmed. We are trying to do both perfectly. And that's what seems to be expected of us. And that's when we kind of, that's when I kind of said, gosh, it's like success is the biggest thing or your financial salary is the biggest thing. When can it just be like what you pay yourself? I was like, oh, that's a concept. (laughs) So it actually really started with a, with a complete burnout moment, um, talking to my best friend and, um, that's where it began for myself. And then I later turned it into a concept um, to be shared broadly, which is the mm-hmm. book. That's great. And Thank so you. so then you go through a process, which you yeah. you described your own of just figuring out, okay, so where what is bringing me most joy? What is most fulfilling to me? And how do I line, line that up, right? That mm-hmm. I love that word alignment. I think uh, so many times we, I just read something this morning and I don't know that this applies necessarily to my age group as much. I'm 41 right now, but, um, that a lot of us are still living even for the approval of our parents and, mm-hmm. and whether it's our parents or a spouse or society or a boss or whomever, that it's so easy to fall into a trap of living life from the outside in. Well, what mm-hmm. do they want? What will make them happy? What will make them more money? What will make, and and feeling like, well, once we do that, then I'll be, I'll get the medal or I'll get the salary mm-hmm. or I'll get the whatever. And then I'll be happy versus what's in alignment with what brings me joy. And I, I think all of the other things follow when you, when mm-hmm. you go from the inside out. Absolutely. And it's putting your validation of your worth in other people's hands versus your own. Mm. You know what I mean? So like doing other people, following society and what other people expect of you, like you were saying, your parents or whoever's parents um, is really just seeking validation from external sources. So you'll always be seeking because you're not giving it to yourself. Seeking and then following down this path that I think you experienced and you're writing about like leads to burnout. Mm-hmm. You just, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to joy us- usually unless people are wired where they just love to achieve for somebody else. But I think that's probably pretty rare. And that, yeah. Well, and that can, it doesn't have to be rare, right? I mean, as long as you, I feel like the main thing is actually being self-aware, knowing what brings you joy, 
and fulfillment. And I think people don't have even many people and professionals that are, um, you know, doing the grind and the hustle haven't even stopped to say, what are those things for me? I don't even know what to ask for or seek out because I don't know that of myself, right? Because I have have tips for them if they don't know, like, yes. Yeah. So I would say like to start starting in, in the book, we start with like, what is your soul salary? So like using that framework, you know, where are you at right now? Um, and I even have like a free quiz online, but it's just a, where are you at right now? Like, let's, let's like pause and, and figure that out. And that can show you where, is it joy that you're lacking? Is it fulfillment you're lacking? Is it basic needs that you're lacking in? Um, are all three excellent? Good for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, it really starts there. And then it, the, the first starting piece for you to get to reflection is you have to meet your basic needs. So I call, I mean, that's obvious, but I call that chapter demand minimum wage. It's the law. So you are literally the CEO of your life. If you're not paying yourself minimum wage, you are against the law. <laughs> yeah, right. And so I, 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 um, I, I say in there, um, you know, you really, you really need to, to do that. So that's the, that's the piece to start. And I give, I give great example. I mean, there's examples in there of how to start doing that. Sure, and I'll say, right. and as you were talking about with like intuition, starting in that basic needs chapter is really bringing you to a self-trust level. Like you say that I'm going to give myself X, Y, Z and you do it. Now you have self-trust. And the more you trust yourself, the more you trust your intuition. So like it, it all comes around, you know, like if you're, if you're meeting your basic needs, then you're trusting yourself, then you're trusting your intuition. It's all, it's all knock a million birds with one stone, you know? That's so huge. I talk a lot about that too. I just think, you know, we, we oftentimes are, I don't know if I can trust them. And I think that's a, it's an opportunity to Steven stop and go, why am I saying that? And where, where is the lack of trust really showing up? But I, I've experienced that in my own life as I've gone through my personal growth journey and some transformative things, loss in the last few years of like, wow, I can trust myself to hold space for myself when I'm feeling scared or when I'm like, what is, what am I doing at this job? Or how am I, you know, I think sometimes we're afraid to even ask ourselves or get in touch with our intuition because we're scared of what feelings might come up or how we might handle it or what. And just even that, whether it's following through on a promise we make to ourselves or trusting our own ability to weather the storm, so to speak, yeah, to navigate I mean? anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, but then once you start dipping your toes in the water and then you get in there a little bit further, you go, oh, I, I survived that. Or I handled for me, it was going through grief. It was like, mm-hmm. man, I mm-hmm. let myself feel that. And I, I didn't die. And now I'm better on the other side of it, but I had to show myself that I could trust myself to handle that. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then I think the same thing starts to show up with whether it's habits we're building or whatever else, where I agree with you, you learning that you can trust yourself in a, pro- especially mm-hmm. in a process like this, it's a muscle you exercise that is absolutely invaluable. That's really powerful. Yeah, I, I totally agree that yeah. it's a invaluable resource. Because then, if you if you can trust yourself, then you can go in my book to the next step, which is identifying your paychecks, which is what fills you up, and that's that that those joy pieces, that's that fulfillment piece, um, and then really 
once you understand that, then you can give yourself raises and promotions, as I call them, which are um, how do you increase your paycheck? So how do you add more joy, add more fulfillment? Um, and like a raise for me was pitching part time. A promotion for me was quitting my job. So like a promotion is obviously like a bigger thing, right? It's a it's not the low hanging fruit. It's something that scares the heck out of you, um, you know, where a raise is much more easy to implement. Um so anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of the first half. But what we haven't talked about is the bills. And this okay. is the part Everybody that I think- Everybody loves talking about the bills. Give it to us straight, Jess. Yes. No, people will just skip this section. And honestly, if you, you can increase your paychecks as far as you can go. But if your bills are really close to equaling your paycheck, your sole salary is still minimum wage, right? Mm-hmm. So you can bring as much joy and fulfillment in you as you have. But if you have all these things that drain you, you're, you're still, you know, you get how a salary works, right? So mm-hmm. the point is, is you need to, is you need to dive into these bills. And I call the bills joy killers and soul suckers. So the joy killers aligns very much with what we were talking about earlier. And that's other people's expectations of you and your own out of alignment expectations of yourself or inauthentic expectations of yourself. Right. So that's what we were talking about on maybe we're living for societal approval or whoever's approval um, that really fits into joy killers. Um, and that was kind of what I was talking about of my race to be impressive um, yeah. and really just get that external validation. And honestly, still recovering from that. It's it still feels like something I, I want even in this new career. Like, oh, hopefully I get some external validation to you know show that I'm on the right track where I stop myself. <laughs> I have to stop myself many times a day. No, no, no. I know that I'm doing what I love and yeah, so it's yeah. a continued journey. But then the soul suckers are really those limiting beliefs and fears that hold us back from living our fulfilling life. So those two, I mean, really diving into those is hard work. But similar to what we talked about earlier, once you see them, you can't unsee them. So you either have to decide, I know this about myself, but I'm not changing it, or to start the budgeting and budget cut process, which is how do we take out some of these draining things from our life. That's so huge. I feel like the limiting beliefs and the fears, like you said, it is so much work. I hate to even frame it that way because I don't want to discourage people from doing the work. I, I, I heard something once a while ago about like, if you let fear be your compass, it will guide you where you need to go. Basically that I think that those fears or those things we're anxious about, it's like the, the greatest pieces of gold are on the other side of that because there's something there. there there's something there, right? Like if it, I'm afraid, I don't know, maybe I'll ask you, what would you say are some of, I don't know, whether you want to share your fears or some common fears that you see that people are experiencing that's hold, either, you know, taking their joy or holding them back from, from something that would bring more joy. So let's talk about the person who's the badass professional. They don't yeah. want to make a mistake. They don't want to make a mistake. I just left my job to start this new career, for example. What if I flop? What if my book doesn't sell at all? This is my own personal one. You know, what if, what if, what if, what if I have to go crawling back and say, hey, can I have my job back? You know, like that's, that was one of my big fears. It's like, what if I fail at this? Like, I don't, like one of my big tenets was I want to be impressive. And then to have to, you know, there's nothing wrong with having to go back and ask for the job, right? Like if you look at it from a rational sense, there's nothing wrong with that. I loved my job. You know, it's not like I didn't like my old career. I just wanted to try this new one because it felt very aligned with myself. You know, so it's it's the point is is like these fears that are so irrational and it's it's again that other perspective. What about you like would you feel like a failure yourself? If I asked myself that, no, because I tried something so that I wouldn't regret never trying it. 
Do you know what I mean? If it's right. just this fear, you let it run these stories in your head. How do you and tackle you- it then? How did you take the fear on? Oh, so unfortunately, for some people who were not going to like to hear this, I went into therapy. I know there's like a I taboo. I they want to hear it. I think it's well, great. Because <laughs> there is such a taboo still, unfortunately, especially, I would say especially with men is what I've seen is when you have that conversation. Um, but yeah, I I tackled it through therapy, worked worked through it in talk therapy, and um, that really supported me in, in overcoming those. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that because I do think mm-hmm. that there are probably a lot of people that need to hear that. And it to me, I've had... So many therapists, and so I've had a plethora, <laughs> not really, but a few, and then also coaches. And I, I think it's so interesting that we will get a co- coach for every other area of life, and they can see what we can't see. I mean, you look at a professional quarterback, and they have a specific coach for specific techniques on how to mm-hmm. throw and where to put your feet, and those coaches help them see what they can't see and then execute what they need to execute. And Mm -hmm. I think it is kind of crazy that we think that we should be able to objectively see all of our goodness, goodness too, because I think we can't see that objectively and all the crud and the fears and the stuff that's getting in the way. So how, how, of course we're getting stuck because we Mm -hmm. we're human and we need we need other people. We need mirrors. We need people that can encourage us. We're not designed, I don't think, to be isolated like that, you know? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, another big piece was the mirrors in your life, like you said, like the best friend who will tell you how it is, <laughs> or even just a fringe friend who will tell you how it is when you need, a, you know, like a someone who's who will, will do that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah that, I mean, that's definitely a piece of it. There's, I mean, there's a lot, right? There's also like we talked about of what feels authentic, you know, that warm feeling and what your body feels like versus what doesn't, you know, I I mean, I'll I'll give an example of not being in my body. Um, When I was pregnant with my first child, I was still working 10 plus hours a day. Um, I was just really going hard. Um, I was not resting. I was, it was a, I had a high stress job. I was on call 24 seven and, um, and, working a lot. So I actually, in the second trimester started having Braxton Hicks contractions, which are like practice contractions. Um, and I would have to sit down and hydrate. And if they stopped, you're good. Um, obviously if they continued, you're actually in labor, but that didn't happen. I, I they always stopped when I like sat down and took a break. Um, and I was like, well, this is, this is annoying. Like I need to get to that meeting or, you know, like that was my, my mindset, which is embarrassing now to admit, but that's how out of touch with my body I was. And I went to my, my OB appointment and she's like, I'm going to put you on work restrictions. If you don't slow down, like I will put you on bed rest if you don't slow down. Um, so, you know, she would not let me leave without work restrictions. So I had hours of the day that I could work in the plant, um, that that was allowed max, and otherwise she was going to put me on bed rest, and it was so embarrassing that I it <laughs> yeah. took a doctor to tell me, "Are you kidding me? I think you, you are-, are not alone at all." And I'm so glad that you're sharing this story because if I was to get pregnant again right now and that was to happen to me, I would probably do the same thing you did because I I think there is an enormous amount of um, either perceived pressure or unsaid pressure that is actually real of an expectation and and maybe even a, a lack of empathy. Like if you've never been pregnant 
or don't have anyone close to you that has been, and you don't know what it feels like to have your body going through what it's going through, Mm -hmm. it would be hard to have empathy for like, I'm sorry, I need to put my feet up right now and drink water. It's like, what, what are you Mm -hmm. doing? We have a meeting. We're starting now and we need you to be here. Mm -hmm. The, the, the circumstances are real and it's hard to say, uh, I can't do this right now. I had a woman, um, in previous job on one of my teams that she'd get really, maybe this is, I'm not going to share her name, but, um, her monthly cycles were excruciatingly painful and she would get um, migraines and get sick and just like couldn't, she was in an accounting position and like couldn't see straight sometimes. But she's like, I don't want to use up my sick days because I won't have any vacation time at the end of the year and just felt this pressure to like keep showing up, even though her body was telling her in every way possible, you need to go rest. And that's something that is not easy to change in a workplace environment Mm -hmm. overnight. But even when you can hear your body, how do you communicate what you need? And that's, you know, a form of advocacy at that point. Then it's like, I need to speak up and say what I need and hope that someone can hear this and and give me what I need. Right. And I also needed the slap in the face because I, come on, like, it, you know, under, under it all, I knew, you know, I knew that I needed to change something, but um, you know, like you said, like if we are taught, I was taught for all those years to, you know, you work when you're having excruciating period cramps, I would have, I would have these, uh, you know, those hot and cold packs. Like I would have just, I mean, it actually felt like labor. Now that, now that I've been through labor, the, the period cramps felt like early labor. And like, I would, so I was basically in labor every month, you know, (laughs) cramps and just working. I'll have that report right over, Bob. (laughs) I would be like bent over taking notes in a meeting. I mean, just, you know, we, we, we've been, we've been taught to just work through our menstrual cycles and so I, I, it's not shocking that when I got pregnant, I just worked through the pain, right? Oh, I've been trained that whole time to do that. Um, you know, I'm not saying that's because my job trained that. It's because of what, like, we're, no, no one speaks of, like, taking a break during your period. I mean, not, not no, no one, but, no, like, it's I not don't, I mean, this is maybe one of the first times I'm actually really talking about it. So welcome, Jess. <laughs> but I think it's... And I'm in a position of leadership too. We don't, you know, we just don't talk about that because we don't talk about that at work. I I ran across a company recently that she was talking about giving um, all of the free time off necessary for menstrual cycles for women. Just at, and there's, I think Gary V talks about like I give people unlimited vacation and they still don't take it. I. I think that there is an element of you, you just have to be willing to trust that your employees then aren't going to take advantage Mm -hmm. of it, which I don't feel like most people actually would, but knowing that it's there is, is a big thing in an environment to go, okay, I, it is okay for me to listen to what my body needs right now. And some days I hit a mental, you know, I'd be working, grinding, 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 and I'd hit a mental block where I'm like, I am not productive. I would be way more productive if I went and took a walk for 15 minutes and then came back and and did the thing or what, whatever it might be. But I think when we take that time to rest and recoup, whether it's because our physical, we're pregnant and we need more rest or it's Mm -hmm. some other thing, when we can listen to what we need, Mm -hmm. I, I believe we're way more productive in the times that we're producing and overall we'll be more productive and more successful. But it's kind of scary to try to figure out like, how do we actually walk this out without, we still have goals to meet. We still have money we need to make, you know, it's still Mm -hmm. a business. So Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of like good faith, I think in an environment to try to figure that out. How do we do this different? You know? 
Absolutely. And there's this quote that I just love. And it's, if you don't make time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your illness. Oh. And so that's basically what happened to me. I wasn't making time for my wellness. I know pregnancy is an extreme example, but that's what I needed to get to get right with my body, (laughs) you know? And so, you know, every day we have needs, you know, and one of my, actually one of my basic need exercises is in the morning to take a deep breath and say, what does my body feel? What does my emotions feel? What am I meant? What does my mind feel? So for example, my body feels very tired this morning. My emotions are, I really, really need to cry. I need to get some grief out. My mind is, it is way too loud up there. Like there's just too much chatter going on. And then I say, pick one thing you could do for each of those. So my body's tired. I'm going to take a nap in my car for 15 minutes at my lunch break, or I'm going to go to bed early tonight. My emotional state, I'm going to have a good cry for 15 minutes in my car at lunch. So we're going to take a little good cry, and then we're going to have a little nap at lunch. Um, or, or at <laughs> <You're> night. Yes. <laughs> Just crying in our car for a half hour. Um, <laughs> I love and then, you know, or I'm going to watch a tearjerker tonight. I have this movie that I know makes me cry. I'm going to do that. You know, there's things you can do. And I, I say, pick one. You don't need to do all those things you just listed. Pick one <laughs> to help yourself, right? And 1% beats 0%. But it's it's the point is like every day we have needs and we need to tune into those. I love this so much. I love to... <sighs> I think sometimes we, we recognize the needs and we think that we're weak or we don't want to take the time Mm. or whatever. So we just shove them down and they end up coming up later. My experience with moments like that. And sometimes I need to cry for no good reason. I just feel energetically like I'm like, Ooh, there's Mm -hmm. something kind of stuck in here or, or maybe it's the time of the month and I'm going to cry a little bit today. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But my experience is when I allow whatever's bubbling up, including joy, by the way, because I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we suppress that because we're afraid of falling from joy or, Mm -hmm. but like whatever's coming up, like embody it, feel it, let it move through you. And usually that process is way quicker than if I'm putting a damper on anger or grief, particularly the, like the lower vibe emotions for me. I'm like, if I'm going to try to stifle those they just simmer beneath the surface for a lot longer time, days even. But if I just like take 15 minutes and have a good cry, it usually just moves through me. I'm like, it's so interesting when we pay attention to what we need. You know, I'm looking at it raining outside and leaves falling from the trees. There are natural cycles in all of nature. And when we can get in tune with that with ourselves, we have so much less resistance. It seems so basic, but it's like, mm-hmm. why am I resisting what is naturally trying to happen right now? The leaves are falling. I'm not going to go glue them back on the tree. Like it's time. Yeah. It's time yeah. for that to happen. Absolutely. No, I, I, I totally, under, I totally I get that completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's the way that things are meant to be. And tears, oh my gosh, are the best way to energetically get rid of something in your body. Yeah. Happy tears, <laughs> sad tears. I mean, it just, I feel like that the tears are literally like energy that like it's the leaves falling. The tears yeah. are the leaves falling. There you go. So like, we, a, we a good cry for no reason. reason. Yeah, a good <laughs> cry for no reason even is fine because you're letting go of some leaves that just needed to be let go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one thing, Jess, that's coming to my mind. I'm thinking about people right now that are that are in scenarios in life, whether it's personally, but we're we'll speak professionally. That's really who your book is catered to and who what the process you've been through. They're in a situation right now, let's say they're in like a really high paying position or they've finally climbed the ladder and it's what they always wanted. 
and they have a sense of, I'm going to use the word trapped, mm-hmm. but kind of like, I can't get out of this now. Uh, you know, for me, I had a moment like that because I had invested a lot of money into a graduate degree in my former field, which was music. I'm doing nothing with that now, mm-hmm. but I'm like, well, I've invested all this time, all this money. I have all this know-how, but this doesn't feel right anymore. But I, I just doesn't make sense. Like I can't, I can't make a change now or, or maybe they don't even know if they really want to, right? Cause they're mm-hmm. not they're not, maybe they're not burnt out at this point, but they're mm-hmm. not full of joy either. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of status quoing it. What would you say to those, those people? Hmm. So one thing I would say is, is it a should? I shouldn't leave this job. I should use my degree. Is it a should? Then can you change it into, a, and I want to, I desire to, I feel like this is the right thing for me statement. Mm. If you can't authentically change it into an I want to, I desire to, you know your answer. Mm. It doesn't mean it's going to be easier to change. I'm not saying that makes it easy to change by any means, but you can at least say to yourself, I need an exit strategy. You know, and that that can be something that you, you know, start working on or it can be something you don't. Like it doesn't mean you have to change it. You get to decide how you live your life. You are the CEO of your life. If you <laughs> you can if you want, stay. Yeah. Yeah. If you I mean maybe you make that choice of I will stay for three more years and then I know that I can retire young. You know, because I mean i I'm, I've heard the term golden handcuffs mm-hmm. when you're, you know, at a higher paying job, maybe you have stock options or whatever. It's, it's like or like 401k vesting, whatever it is, it becomes these golden handcuffs because, oh, if you stay three more years, you're vested. Okay, but now you have three more years of that. So, you know, I've heard it called the golden handcuffs, which I get. And, and it's it's like, okay, I'm leaving all that on the table. Um, an example I have in my life is I did night school to become a coach. But that is no longer a primary part. It still is a part, but it's not a primary part of my business um, because I decide, I realized that you know, even though I put that money and time and energy into becoming certified, I really, really enjoy writing and I really enjoy content creation and speaking and um, those types of items because I want to make a broader impact. So like my lofty goal is to spread love and joy broadly, like really make a huge impact. And I realized what was aligned with that was actually something that that lifted me up more, which is the book, writing and, and publishing, et cetera. So I, I invested that time and money, but I did finally make the the plan to that's not the majority of my um business anymore. Mm-hmm. So it it I happened how- and mm-hmm. go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. I love I love how it's kind of like which comes first, the chicken or the egg. I am a believer mm-hmm. and because I've seen it, not just because I just want to believe this, but I'm a believer that when we start aligning with more and more things in our life that do bring us joy, two things happen. We make a more positive impact, whether that was the reason we chose to do the thing or not, it just becomes a byproduct of it and we get more joy. And then because we're getting more joy, we make more of an, and not, and not that we're in this perpetual state of ecstasy, right? There's still pain. There's still things in life Mm -hmm. that show up. But I think that you know, when I'm thinking about the person that's feeling stuck or feeling trapped or that's in the should state, mm-hmm. often I want to illuminate like, well, what's on the other side of the, what you said, Jess, was, it was just like, if you were to be able to turn that statement into, I desire to, or I want to, or I feel drawn to X, Y, Z, 
what's on the other side of that for you? And what's the ripple effect of the people in your world? You, if you have children, yeah. like what are they, what are they, what my, it's been fun to see my daughters watch me launch this podcast, which I'm not doing for them. I'm doing it because it's bringing my joy, but they're like, Oh mom, you're going to do that thing. And I'm realizing like they're watching me as 41, not mm. quitting my job, but I'm starting something new and it's giving them permission to realize at any point in life we can go, what brings me joy? I want to do that. Mm. Um, but that's, you know, you, you talked about that a little bit when we, when we connected prior to today's conversation, just about how joy filled people change the world. And I'd love to mm-hmm. kind of hear your take on that piece of it too. Yes. So I'm going to use a story um, to to give a take on that. And <clears throat> that was something I read in Transcendental Meditation Magazine, that there was an area that was very crime-ridden. And they tr- the, uh, the this project made sure that there was 1% of the population that was meditating. So they did have to transfer some monks to the area to get to that 1%. But for a year, 1% of people meditated every day. And within that year, crime went down 16%. Wow. And they attribute it to this 1%. So you can make a difference. Like every person can make a difference um, like that did. And it just it's just a, a really fun, interesting story to show that. Um, you know, put another way in a quote, in a way of a quote is in one acorn lies an entire forest. So in that acorn, it plants a tree. That tree has a bunch of acorns that fall down that then those all become trees, et cetera. So one person can make an entire forest, can make an entire change in the world. And, and that, that's and that's really why I wrote my book. That's not the original reason. I was like, oh, it's on my bucket list. But when I really d- dove down into it, I realized that I want to make a profound impact on the world. And everyone who reads and does my book does that, hmm. right? Is an acorn, team acorn. <laughs> Hashtag team acorn. Yes, that's, it's really is inspiring what you've done from the inner work and, you know, asking yourself the tough questions to start, facing the fears and the process you went through to do that, phasing out of a 15 year career and a Fortune 500 company, taking the leap into something that was unknown. And even you talked about that flowing with intuition. I mean, letting that be a part of your guide. It, I think from the outside looking in sometimes, or maybe this is my own old preconceived ideas that that stuff feels soft, which AKA can mean weak. But to me, that's, that takes so much courage because it's going against societal grain. It's going against a lot of what you grew up with or knew in your own way. And and who likes change and who likes going into the unknown? Not a lot of people do. And so, um, thank you for sharing your story and it's inspiring to hear, of people who are walking down a path that is not easy to easy to plow, so to speak. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And thank you for your work. So for our listeners, how, how can they connect with you? How can they get more information or kind of start on their path in if they're like, man, I want to be more aligned with joy? Um, tell me a little bit about that. Just start with my free quiz. It's at www.jesskaskov.com slash soul salary. Free, less than two minutes. It will tell you where you're at and it'll also break it down into subcategories and give you some suggestions. Start there. If you're not ready for reading a whole book because you probably are overwhelmed, (laughs) start with a free quiz, get a few tips. And then if you want to continue the journey, the book's on Amazon. Awesome. 
Thanks so much, Jess. It really is a pleasure diving in with you today. And again, thank you for your work and for being an example that a lot of women um, and men too can look up to in in walking out their joy-filled soul salary life. I love it. Oh, I so appreciate that. Thank you. As always, thank you for tuning in. I hope that this episode is supporting you in becoming your most whole self so that you can lead your most full life. You are definitely worthy and deserving of that. All of the resources that we shared today are going to be linked in the show notes. You can check those out there, along with ways that you can connect with us if you've got questions or feedback or people that you think we should reach out to to highlight their story on the Whole Shebang podcast. In the meantime, please be sure to hit that follow button so you don't miss a beat. Share this episode or any others with those that you think could benefit from this conversation, and you can do the podcast a huge favor by leaving a five-star review. In the meantime, I hope that you have a fantastic banging day.